0: And this part two is, 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 last week we talked about Cain and Abel and that, that hard work versus that acceptance of the, the blood sacrifice. And, and that, that challenge we have to just be. And, it, and it's really hard for us. It's hard for Christians to accept the fact that, that we are dearly loved by God. It's hard for, for Christians to accept that, that there's good things about us. And, and so we, we struggle with that. When I was, uh, when I was young... My mother had a book, and from the time I was in, you know, preschool, and and in the book you would always write, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" and and you'd go through that every year, and you put your memorial stuff in there. And I always wanted to be a pilot. That was my that was my goal in life. I, I lived near there was a little airstrip, just kind of a grass airstrip near where I lived, and and I used to watch those little little planes, little hobby planes, come in and out of there, and I just. I thought That's, that would be the life. And so in my head, I pictured, you know, I'm going to come this pilot, I'm going to be a private pilot license, you know, so I'll fly the business jets, and I'll be all over the world, and I'll live this, this great life. And, and if I'm not a pilot, then, then I'll be an architect. And if I can't be an architect, then I'll, I'll be kind of a James Bond type of, of a spy. That was, my, <laughs> that was my third choice. Uh, but the one thing that never, ever, ever, entered on the, on the radar, was being a pastor. That was not something that I, I looked forward to. It's not something that I went, ooh, that would, be, that would be a really great thing to do. That was just not, not even there. And then in my final year of high school, I get the God call, that, uh, that, that moment. I'm at this youth convention and, and just this this overwhelming sense of closeness to God and, and this sense of, and it, it wasn't a voice, it wasn't even really a clear thought, but this, this is what I have for you. And, and it wasn't a forceful thing, like you better do this or else, it was a kind of an invitation. And the idea of full-time Christian ministry was something I didn't really embrace. So I, I ran from that. And by ran from it, I mean, I, I tried to distance myself from God as, as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. And it was only after a series of events that I finally relinquished and went, okay, I'll go off to Bible college. I was late going because the school year had started and I was still fighting it. But, but God answered this fleece that I had put out very dramatically. And so I end up in Bible college after about mid-September and went through the first year. And the first year was really a year to, to really define some things in my life. And, and I began to warm up to the idea of maybe this would be all right if I could do youth ministry. If I could do youth ministry, then it, it might be, be acceptable. And I was kind of warming up to that. And it was at the end of my first year of Bible college where I finally, finally resolved of, okay, I will do this. That I got word that somebody I viewed as a, as a spiritual leader was in the, in the midst of having an affair. And kind of this moral failure that, that I didn't know what to do with. Because my first thought was, I, I know... I'm not very good, and I don't feel very confident, but if, if they can do it, then, then maybe there's hope. But, but when they failed, I went, well, if they failed, I, I, I don't stand a chance. And, and I realized my faith was wrapped up in, in really performing for this person, and, and it devastated me. And so I did what... Um, I... I, I Ran away from that. When that rug was was pulled out from under me, I I went to the church camp that I kind of grew up going to, where my grandmother had a had a cottage and it was on the Saint John River in, in a place called Beulah Camp. And I went there, and it was May. It was mid-May, so there's nobody around. And there was this big big cement wharf that the steamboats used to stop at when they would travel up and down the river. And I went down there and pitch black. And, and I'm, I'm in that place calling out to God because when you have circumstances that, that really just devastate you, those circumstances, they, they have a way of defining us. And, and, and sometimes they have a way of refining us. And, and, and sometimes they, well, they destroy us. And I was wavering. And so I'm down on this wharf in the middle of in a dark night, black, black sky, and I'm and I'm crying out to God, like, is this, is this even real? What am I doing? Why why did you give me this sense of hope? I can't do this. I can't. I can't do this. And I looked up from this wharf, looked out over the the river, and and it was dark, dark night, but there was a few stars out. And when I looked out directly across in this wharf, into this dark night, there was this this kind of a hole, a dark black hole in in the stars. And in that hole that there was, there was four stars kind of in the, in the shape of, of this, kind of, it, it created this cross. And, I, and I, I swear, this is true, I did one of those cartoon things where you, you look away and you rub your eyes, and I looked back because I went, I'm not seeing what I think I'm seeing. And I, I literally, I turned my back to it, I rubbed my eyes, I opened my eyes, I turned back, and there's that, that black hole, with these four stars in the shape of this cross and it's 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 not what i heard it's what i felt it was like this this just this presence that enveloped and this overwhelming sense of of peace and love and and again it wasn't a voice that i heard but it was a sense that i have of just stay focused on me and everything's going to be all right If you stay trusting in me, everything will be okay. And God and I made a contract that day. I mean, literally, I I tend to be a very rational thinker. So I made a literal contract. I said, okay, I don't feel like I can do this. But if that's your promise, I'm going to hold you to it. And my faith shifted from somebody else's beliefs, where I was trying to appease them, to now it was a, an encounter with God. And I was saved before, but this was, this was the Andy moment. This is the, where I entered into that, that relationship with God in a very real way. Keep your focus on me, on the cross, and everything else is going to be OK. So I came back from that encounter and, and worked that summer, went back to school, eventually graduated, and so I go from Fredericton, New Brunswick to my first church in, in Crapo, P-E-I. Crapo means toad in French, so if you said it with a bit of an accent, it sounded better. Crapo, P-E-I. I say I started off my ministry in Crapo and spent the rest of my time trying to stay out of it. And uh, not always successful. But we go, we marry, we go to Crapo P.E.I., we start there, then we go to St. John, then we go to Ottawa area in a place called North Gore, and then from Ottawa area down to Belleville, which is near Kingston. And and we end up staying there for quite some time. It was a church revitalization project, we ended up merging two congregations together, we did this kind of a restart, Uh, it was just this eclectic group that we have and it was a lot of fun. And it was, it was a time just to, to experiment with ministry. And in that time, I did take some time off. Uh, I, I kind of broke from ministry, and I did air traffic control. So that was my, it was almost like God said, oh, I, I know you wanted to work in aviation. Here you go. Take a, take a couple of years, do that, get your head on straight, and then let's go back in. And we went back into ministry and, and kind of went from there. And we were having a lot of fun with it. We had this, this kind of a funny group. of. They were either new believers that just started in church. They didn't know anything. Or we had all the believers that were really dis, disillusioned with church. And they were on their way out. And we were the last stop. And so it was just this eclectic group of everything. And, and we were just trying to figure out how do we live our, our faith. So I ended up going out uh, one night with some friends, and this is about 20 years after that, that God encounter on that wharf. And we're with friends, and we're playing this board name, we're playing Cranium. Not a... Not a it, the, the name sounds a little bit more intriguing than the game itself. It's not a, not a complex game if you've ever played Cranium. But nevertheless, I, I tend to be a little competitive. So I, I, I like to just seem casual, but really, it's, it's all about the win. It's, it's, and, I, and I had my wife on my team, and, and she's not like that. She's all about the social. And, uh, and there was somebody else on our team, and, and we were playing this other, these other people, and, uh, and, and, and we rolled the dice, and, or somebody rolled the dice, and, and we ended up on, uh, on, a, on a trivia, and it was a true and false question. And I go, okay, true and false, well, 50-50 chance. And uh, this Heather picks the card, and she reads the category. And the category was astronomy. And I'm like, I don't don't know anything about astronomy. That's like one of my worst. But it's it's true or false, so I got a 50-50 chance. So she takes and and she reads the question. the question was, this constellation of stars may be seen from North America. And I'm like, unless it's a Big Dipper, I don't know. So she handed me the card. And when I flipped the card over, it was this image. Right here, and I went now. The other people on my team were like, Oh, let me see that card. I'm like, No, this is mine. I said, No, no, we're not even going to listen to you. Yes, you can see that. I and I said, Absolutely, you can see that. I've seen this myself. I said, I got to tell you, it was just kind of filling them in real quick. This is the this is the This is a star constellation that changed my life. It's why I'm here today. It's everything about my relationship with God is all based on this card. Yes, you can absolutely see it because I have seen it myself. And I passed the card back. I picked up the dice because I'm like, we're on a roll. And, And I shook that dice. And before I could drop it, Heather flips the card and says, the answer is false. And I went... The answer is wrong, (laughs) the card is wrong, I've seen it with my own eyes. I can definitely see this. It's absolutely yes, and that can't be right. And with cranium, when it gives you the answer, it gives you a little description. And so she began to read that and read that it was the Southern Cross. It's what's featured on the Australian flag. It's the southern cross, and it's known to only be visible in the southern hemisphere. And I, I listened to that, and, and it's like, it, it wasn't like the light flashed before my eyes, but it was like this quick unraveling of my life. Everything I'd gone through, and it ravelled me back, and I could feel like I was in that moment. Not the moment of, of security, but the moment of uncertainty. And in that moment, in that game, in that silly game, all of a sudden, I'm just feeling this, that ominous, this is, this is not real. And, and this Heather, who's just her and her husband are, were dear colleagues in ministry. One was a counselor, one worked with the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And, and she picked up on what? Because I was, I was devastated. I, I, I didn't know what to do with that. And she's just really tender. And she just looked and she said, well, I guess that shows how important you are to God. That he would let you see something that's impossible to see from where you were. And I went, hmm. And, and I kind of, we continued the game. I don't remember who won. It was, it was probably me, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Because it, it rattled me so much that I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to, how to process that. And I remember getting through that evening, but, but being so rattled that I, that I, I, I kind of just limped through. Because what had had such an impact on my life, it, which I thought was, was big, but not that big, all of a sudden, 20 years after the event, it, it just takes on this new meaning. And I remember going out from there and just going, that was really a weird night. That was not what I expected at all. But what subsequently happened in that church, we, we'd had a lot of, and like I said, we had this just eclectic group. And, and when you have such an eclectic group, it can be kind of fragile. And, and we had some challenges in ministry, some things that, that that probably would have devastated me, probably would have just knocked again, pulled the rug out from under my feet. Had, had I not been refocused on I have to maintain that relationship with Jesus. That it was reinforced just in time for what we were about to encounter. So the Lord reminded me to keep focused, to keep trusting him. In spite of the circumstances that were really present and there. So that has shaped who I am and what I am. That, that knowledge that, not that that I'm some special thing, but, but that the Lord would love me as an individual so much that he would give that kind of a gift. That I could see and experience. and Because I knew the faith. I knew the aspect of, of giving my heart to Jesus and accepting Jesus in my life, but... But then my whole life was, then what do I have to do to to kind of pay my dues? So you go back and you look at these disciples. And and this is where I take some consolation because the disciples had to kind of learn the same lessons that I had to learn. And so you go back and you look at Peter. And I I love Peter. I'm nothing like Peter. I, I think Peter's this extrovert that just speaks whatever kind of comes to his mind. And I'm an introvert and I kind of... I kind of think about it before, I kind of weigh the consequences a little bit. But I like Peter, because Peter's the guy that goes, oh, if I had said that, what would have happened, type of person. you got to have those around sometimes. And sometimes we can look at Peter about what we're not supposed to do, and sometimes we look at Peter and go, well, that's exactly what we should do. And Peter made some big mistakes, but also he had some of the biggest breakthroughs. And it really comes out in, in Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, we have this encounter. And, and Matthew 16, starting at verse 15, it, it's this encounter, and you know this, this one. Where Jesus is with his disciples and he's saying, so guys, like, what's the buzz out there? What are, what are people saying about who I am? What are you, what are you hearing? And, and they're going on, well, you know, some say you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist came back to life. And there's just all these different things. And, and they're, probably, they're musing about all the different things that people are saying about, about Jesus. And Jesus kind of zeroes in a little bit and he goes, okay, well, that's good what, what you're hearing. Now, who do you say I am? And you can almost imagine that, that, that awkwardness of, uh, you know, do I really want to be honest? And Peter blurts out. And, and, and we love his answer there. Because he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and I think Jesus gets this grin on his face. And he said, ah, Peter, you got it. You got it. Like, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because you've got this. But I want you to understand, Peter, it's, it wasn't because of your hard work or your great intellect that revealed that. But it was, it's the Spirit. And, and he's kind of saying this to Peter, but he's saying it for everybody. And then they're, they're writing it down for, so it's for us as well. He goes, I want you to understand that that, that, that wasn't because you're, you're incredibly smart and able to figure this out. You got that because my Father sent His Spirit to show you something that otherwise would be missed. And he goes, Peter, I want you to know that that, that very premise, that's how I'm going to build this, this thing we're calling an ecclesia. We're going to build the church with that. That, that these ordinary people are are going to experience extraordinary things, not because they are do all these great works and they're, they're phenomenal at what they do, but because my Father's going to give my spirit and my spirit is going to is going to show them things and be able to do things in them that they wouldn't be able to do themselves. So that's going to be the whole basis of what I'm, what we're going to do. So he kind of says that, kind of like, "Are you good with that? Like, won't that be a, won't that be fun?" And, and Peter's, you know, <laughs> I'm sure Peter deep down was going, "You guys, you guys catching this? Like, like I <laughs> because instinctively, we keep going to the place of, did I?" Did I do something that's worthy of praise? Did I I get the gold star for that one? Is that the right answer? And and no doubt Peter kind of picks up on that a little bit. So so that's verses 15 to 18. And then you you don't go very far. You actually go down to verse 22. And Jesus is is talking about what's going to happen. Like he's saying, this is is the will of the Father. This is what's going to happen. And Peter goes... Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, I, I think I, I got this one. I don't think we should do it that way. I think I know a better way we could do this. And, and immediately, he goes from this, this extreme high to this low, where Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. And, and it's, he, he's not critical of Peter. Jesus is recognizing what's happening there. He says, You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And again, Jesus is giving a principle. He's going, look, I just told you. I I just finished giving you the lesson that it's all about what the Spirit gives you. And then the Spirit gives me something to pass on to you, and you immediately reject it. And you go to Peter... And in one moment, he's looking beyond the things of men to the things of God. But then immediately he turns around and he looks beyond the things of God and begins to focus on the things of man. And I look at that and go, ooh, I do that all the time. Because the reality is, is I would do the same, or even worse, I would be more guilty of just doing nothing, Uh, of staying back from the crowd and just playing it safe. Just say, well, we'll we'll see what Peter does, or we'll see what John does, and we'll follow their lead, where Jesus is inviting them in. But, but here's the part, and this is when you look at the Bible as a whole. Because we can take those passages and we can you know, praise Peter or we can criticize Peter and we can take those sections. But if you read all those sections together, you start to see how Jesus is interacting. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, get behind me, Satan. And then he goes, I, I had great plans for Peter, but pff, he's not gonna, he, he didn't make the cut. Matter of fact, you go into Matthew chapter 17 just, if you, if you have your Bibles open, you can see it's just like, this is the narrative that's continuing on. Matthew 17, verse 1. Jesus takes Peter, who he just rebuked, and he invites him. Peter, James, and John. And he, he doesn't really tell them what he's doing. This is, I love this part. He just kind of uh, maybe they had a sense that it was something, but but he just kind of says, "Hey, Peter, James, and John, I I I got to go run an errand. Will you will you come with me? I gotta go, go do. Something. I just need just I just need three of you to come along with me. I don't I don't think they had any expectation of what was coming next. And they truck up a hill. And they get up that hill, and uh, and when they get up that hill, Jesus just kind of lets his. God's side, shine. And, and he starts to radiate. It's this, what we call the transfiguration. He starts to glow. He, and, and whenever you see that, you just get taken back into the Old Testament, and that was the presence of God, and you go, whew. Because we believe that Jesus was all God, but also all man, but, and he kind of kind of covered the one with the other, but in this case, he just lets, lets his true identity kind of shine. He he reveals himself and, and then in that event there's Moses who represents the law and then there's Elijah who represents the prophets which you go how many times does Jesus say the laws and the prophets say this and he brings those all together and there's a whole bunch there that we could unpackage but you've got Peter, James and John watching this and, and it's not a vision, it's not like they've fallen asleep and they're laying on the ground, they're they're watching this. And they're engaged in this. They're experiencing this in, in real time. Look at verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, because he's, he's, he's coherent. He's, he's conscious of what's happening in this, whew, this event. And Peter looks and he says, Lord, it's really cool that we're here. This is this is." Amazing. This is great. This experience right here, awesome. And then Peter, speaking to Jesus, who's aglow with Moses and Elijah there, says, Lord, if you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And we look and we go, that's really noble. I look and I go, what's going on here? Here you got Peter going, this this, this is a fantastic event. I need to do something. I need, I here's what I can do. Here's what I can contribute. And it's that, that overwhelming need to have to do something because we're, most of us really aren't comfortable with just sitting back and enjoying the Lord. We feel like, I've got to do something. I've got to contribute some way here. I mean, this is, a, this is wonderful. There's got to be a price to pay. What's the price I need to pay? What can I do? Because we often feel very uncomfortable not doing. Not feeling like we're contributing. So this part gets my attention. Verse 5. Matthew 17 verse 5. He. (laughs) This is the funny part. He's still speaking when behold. A bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice of the cloud said. Now you know who's in the cloud is... God. It's not that Jesus is speaking here. It's almost like this this is unfolding, and Peter just jumps in and just starts talking. And while he's talking about all the things that they're going to do, this cloud comes in, and the very presence of God settles in on the place. And he speaks. Now, God doesn't speak often, but anytime time he does, you ought to pay really close attention to what he says. This is kind of reminiscent of the baptism, where, where John the Baptist is going, I shouldn't be able to baptize you, you should be baptizing me, and, and, and he finally relinquishes, and he baptizes, and then he hears the voice of the Father. There's a parallel here. So, God doesn't speak often, so when He does, we ought to pay really close attention. And His words are powerful, not because of this booming voice, but because of the, the very essence of what, he, what He's saying. It's like everything in the world comes to a pause as God steps in and does something that is rare in human history is He speaks. And he says, this is my dearly loved son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased with all the stuff he's doing. I'm very happy with what he's doing. And then he gives a command. And this command isn't to Jesus. This is to Peter, James, and John, where he says, I want you to listen to him. And this is a command from God. God. A command that carries as much weight as any of the other commands in the Old Testament. A command that comes directly from God that says this to Peter, James, and John, and everybody that will follow him. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, then they fell on their faces. because this overwhelms them. But look at this, verse five. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And here's the part I love. That this terrifies the disciples. The voice of God, the presence of God terrifies them that they fall down but here's what I've learned is that that sense of the fear of the Lord that that awe that we have of God's presence that's so overwhelming sometimes that Jesus comes along and he personalizes it doesn't change the message but he personalizes it in a very dear way So look what happens next. These guys are are terrified. They're on the ground. And Jesus walks over to them. And look what he does. He physically touches them. The beloved son of God, who has just shown his glory, puts his hand on these three men and touches them. And says, rise and have no fear. The awesome power of God is brought into our lives by the son that he sent. That interacts with our life, not just in a spiritual way, but in a physical way. To interact with us where we're at, in our fear, in our trepidation, and says, rise, stand up. Rise up in your identity, and don't be fearful. And when they do, it has this little line there that says they saw nothing else but Jesus. The law is gone. The prophet is gone. The glory is contained. And they see nothing but Jesus. Jesus. And in that, Jesus doesn't say, look, guys, you've got to do better. He doesn't say, look, you got to, you got to, you got to, that was a really a dumb thing to say. You've got to, you've got to read the room better. He doesn't say any of that. He speaks to their identity. And he says, I want you to, in, in the midst of your fear, I want you to rise up. I want you to stand up in who you are. And begin to understand That you don't have to be fearful. God's word says things about who we already are. That we have trouble understanding. We have trouble accepting his word about us. That it's true and trustworthy. When you read the New Testament... When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will read things about how God sees you. That instinctively we reject and say, well, that applies to other people. I'm, I'm not that. And we want to impose on ourselves something that's different than what God's Word says. And we come out with all kinds of statements because we think it makes us sound holy. But really, we're doing what Peter was doing, where we're saying, this is the word of God. And Peter's saying, no, I think this is more suitable. That we have a hard time accepting truth about who we are in Christ. To the point where instinctively we reject it. And it's a lifelong journey for us to discover that something as simple as the fact that He loves us is true. So I had been a pastor for 15 years, when all of a sudden it dawns on me that God does something extraordinary for me. And my immediate response in that moment was to reject that. That, I must have made up what I saw, instead of what Heather said, which is, wow. That must really show how much God values you. Because my head is going, that can't be true. Because I have to do more. But when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus alone. And this kind of takes us back to the very first and I, I think i did this last week where i said you go back to genesis you go back to the the first three chapters of genesis or actually the first two chapters and you see what it's supposed to be and you remember the encounter where god takes the mud and he forms adam and it says he formed man out of the mud out of the clay and then he breathes into him the breath of life now imagine God taking this, this, this being and breathing life into his nostrils. And Adam's eyes open up. And what does Adam see? He doesn't see any garden. He doesn't see any world. He sees only the face of God. And the very premise that, get, that gets set up right from the very beginning is, is God wants us as, as individuals to be face to face with him. To, to be in his presence In this very real way. To be face to face. So Adam opened his eyes for the first time. And he's face to face with God. He opened his eyes and he sees his creator. Peter in this moment opens his eyes. And he sees his savior. In Revelation John opens his eyes. When he's overwhelmed by what he's seeing in Revelation. And he sees the king of kings. The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Your priority is not to do more for Jesus. Not to live by the order of Cain that we talked about last week. Your priority as a disciple of Jesus is to get face-to-face with your Savior. And then live as a reflection of of, of what he shows you about yourself. We are far more comfortable doing for Christ rather than than being in Christ. We're constantly feeling this need to prove ourselves, to prove our, our worth But we have to know that Christ sees you. Christ sees you in a way that's different than how we see ourselves. We amplify, we talked about this last week, we amplify all our flaws. God sees what he's created. And he wants to draw that out. That's why it's so important to to believe by faith what his word says about us. Versus superimposing something else on that. But here's the thing. The more we draw into the presence of the Lord and begin to draw our identity back from Him, then when we go to do, we're doing in the power of God and not in the power of ourselves. So it actually equips us to be more effective in ministry than if we just tried to do more in our ministry. By taking that time to be in his presence but we get so busy going about doing and and trying to do good things and sometimes the good things that we do are good things but the Lord's saying but I want to use you for eternal purposes the only way that you can be used for eternal purposes is if you actually get into the presence of Jesus to know what the purposes of God are and then going do those by faith now that's, that's kind of the message. But I'm going to give you a little tag on. Because I finished the story there, and I kind of was wrapped up. And, I was, and, and the Lord said, well, you, you don't stop. That's not the end. And you get this story, and you go, well, wait a minute. We talked about Peter, your the other Christ. Talked about Peter, get behind me, Satan. Talked about transfiguration, see only Jesus, yeah. The story that comes next, if you have your Bibles, you look at that in verse 14. Uh, they come back down off the hill. And, and, and the, the story is like, they come down off the hill, Peter, James, and John. You can imagine. I, I, I'm thinking it's quiet. I'm thinking everybody's just going to keep their mouth shut and just go, we got to process this. And they walk down this hill. And the other guys are down in the town. Now, they're good disciples. So when Jesus is gone, they're, they keep doing their ministry. So they're probably preaching and they're probably sharing. And people come to them. And, and one of the people that comes to them is his father who has a son who has these seizures. And, and they overwhelm him. And this father brings this boy to the disciples, the other disciples. And, and those disciples go, we've done this before. We've cast out demons. We've healed the sick. We, we've done all this stuff. So let's... And they do what they do. They do what they've been doing all along but nothing happens and sometimes again we we read these sections and we skip where this section is a different section but we begin to realize this is an extension this is the lesson that Jesus is bringing out and they're not able to heal so Jesus shows up verse 17 and Jesus Jesus does one of the Jesus things where he kinda he kinda talks out loud so, people can hear. And he's not rebuking anyone. He's just kind of like somewhat under his breath. Oh, faithless, and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me, kind of says. And he comes, and Jesus, look what he does. He immediately rebukes this thing, and it, it casts out, and the boy's healed. So, obviously, it was a demonic issue that was causing the illness and Jesus casts it out and it's done now if you're the other disciples like if you're the three you're still going you're trying to get to the other one just go don't 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 just just don't say anything the other ones are going we did that we tried that It, it didn't work for us why didn't it work for us and when they get Jesus alone, verse 19, they finally have time to ask him. And they say, Jesus, why? how come it didn't work? We did it. We did, we did it kind of just the way you taught us to do it. We did it the way we've done it before. It worked before. It didn't work this time. How come it didn't work? And Jesus says, well, because you didn't have enough faith. And we look at that and we read into that and we say, oh, they need to be more spiritual. They needed to, to have more Faith. So if we don't get results, then we got to have more faith. we got to do better. And then we put all this stuff on ourselves to go, well, this is what Jesus is saying. So if we pray this and it doesn't work, it's our fault. Or maybe if it's not our fault, because we think we really did everything we could, then it must be their fault. And we come up with all kinds of excuses and all kinds of reasons. And we can look at that, and that's kind of not the correct interpretation of that. So sometimes we have to jump... And look elsewhere, and we go to in Mark chapter 9. It's the same story, same events. And they ask Jesus, how come we couldn't cast this out? And Jesus says, it's something different. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. And you go, oh, okay. So the way we do it, if we're going to cast this out, a, a spirit that causes seizures then we have to spend a few days prayer and, in prayer and fasting before we do it and you go oh. then you ask the question but did Jesus go away and say hey, book, book an appointment back here in three days I got to go pray and fast does Jesus do that no because it said he, he immediately casts this thing out so what does he mean he, get, he gets this point over to the disciples he goes because the other three are there and they're like I know what we just experienced and Jesus is saying the prayer and fasting is not to you have have the power to cast out the demons the prayer and fasting so that you spend the time with the father face to face so that when you go out into the world and you encounter something that, that you haven't encountered before you have the wherewithal to be able to know what the will of the father is in that particular situation But if you just start doing your ministry and start doing what you've always started doing, you're going to encounter something that doesn't work. And then you either withdraw and go, Lord, how come it didn't work? Or you start to make up excuses or theology or doctrine to explain it. And we're really good at that. And there's all kinds of denominations and all kinds of doctrines and theologies that we heap on to explain why we're not getting the results that Jesus would get. And Jesus has this principle. Recognize that your revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. Recognize that you need to pay attention to what the Spirit is saying over what you think. Get face to face with the Father, with the Son, so that you're empowered to do what you need to do. And then when you encounter a situation, you're able to adapt and do what you need to do in order to be able to see the will of the Father carried out. Because we were looking and say, well, was it the will of the Father that this boy would have seizures? You go, well, no, because Jesus immediately cast it out. So the will was for this boy to be healed. The disciples were trying to do the will of God, but weren't able to do it. And Jesus comes back and he says, because you got to stay focused on the relationship with the father first. You see, sometimes we think that we have to go and do so that one day we'll be able to stop and rest. Kind of the reward system. When in reality, we need to stop and rest so that I can go and do His work every day. See that how how it different? And, and we look at that and we go and, and like I said, I I'm, I'm telling you this because this is how I've lived my life. Trying to do, and then go Lord, it's, it, I I hope this is a worthy gift, worthy sacrifice for you. And it's kind of like the Cain thing where it's like, well, thanks, but it's not what I'm looking for. I want something greater. I want you to have that relationship. I want you to, to experience that. And when I went through all of this, here's the word I got. This is, this is coming in out of the summer months. Because as I'm looking, I'm kind of a news junkie. I like to look at news and look at politics. And I'm looking at all the stuff going on, and I'm probably like you, where I'm looking going, what is going on in our world? Because I'm looking at it and go, well, why isn't the church making a difference? Or why isn't the church seemingly making a difference? And it was like the Spirit said, because these changes will only come as a result of prayer and fasting. Which I went, oh, that means for us to be in the presence. There are spiritual forces at work right now that the things that we did in the past don't work to counter them. That we're in a new phase, a new life, and that the church needs to be ready to pivot in order to respond. And we don't pivot based on our good ideas. We pivot on what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us right now. So what I've come to realize is that the desperation is not to figure out formulas for churches to do or programs for churches to do. The thing that we need right now is for churches to get steadfastly committed to getting into the presence of God. And saying, Lord, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? And when I get that revelation, then I'm going to go do that. But we have to stop spinning our wheels trying to figure out what God wants and spend the time figuring, hearing what God wants and then going and doing that. So how do you apply that? Let's do the five-minute recap. If you were boxing or any kind of combat sport... What you would do is you would set yourself. So if I'm fencing, which I don't do, but I always thought it would be cool to do, then I would, I would plant this back foot. This would be my strength. The front foot I would keep, keep light. So if, if somebody comes at me in a combat sport, this, this back leg, this strength one, holds me up. But the front one is, is used to pivot. And I can adjust. So if, if somebody comes at me and in one way, I can, I can move, I can shift, but I've got my strength on the back. If I put all my strength on the front, then all they have to do is push me past that, and I, I'm not secure, and I'll fall over. So when you're in a combat sport or you're in a, a fighting sport, you're, you're taught to kind of have one foot ahead, one foot back. Your strength is in the back, your identity in Christ, your being in Christ. Your front foot is light and ready to adapt, that's your agility. That's your doing. So what the Lord does in your life, he goes, if you get that foot firmly planted, then whatever comes your way, you can adjust your doing that you won't be overcome. That's the passage of, you know, you set yourself with the armor of God. But it's not just about putting on the armor of God and just standing there. A, a Roman soldier would be taught to put on that armor of God and get into the ready position. Set yourself. Strength in the back, agility in the front. Being, doing. But if you set yourself and you, you, you set yourself so that your front foot, your agility is where you, you, you bank everything. That's all in your doing. In your front back foot, which is supposed to be your strength as your being, but you, you're not emphasizing that, and you put all your weight on your front, then you can easily be overcome and thrown off. And that's what's happening in the church. It is we're putting everything, banking everything on what we do, and the enemy is just rolling over us. The church needs to get really good at anchoring itself in its being, because the strength is not in your doing, it's in your being. And the agility, what you do, can easily adapt to the changing circumstances. Strength and agility, being and doing, they set you up to be effective in ministry. And when you take that, that, all those passages together, that's what the lesson is from Jesus. Is you want to deal with this particular situation... You've got to learn all of these lessons. And the lesson culminates in that command from the Father that says, this is my beloved Son. The way He's doing it is the good way to do it. Pay attention to Him. And that's very liberating. So what do we do? Well, we need to find a rhythm for ourselves. And we're all different. We all do this different. I came across this, this app, One Minute Pause. Um, and I, I've started it many times because the thing you have to be prepared. the moment you set yourself to saying I'm going to get in the presence with the Lord every day the enemy comes in and brings in all kinds of distractions and you learn that you've got to set yourself even set yourself to be able to interact with God But you might find an app that helps, or a time frame, or something. You might set aside times in the month where you go, I'm taking a day away, or I'm going for a walk one day a week, or I'm going to do something, I'm going to get away. And the whole purpose of that time is just to get face-to-face with the Father. Not to come with all my requests, not to come with all the the demands, but just to get in the presence and say, Lord, I'm, I'm here, I just want to be in your presence. Because remember what we looked at last week, the Revelation 12. That the accuser of the brethren is going to keep accusing. Keep trying to knock you off your game. Keep attacking you and keep telling you how bad you are. But the only way that we overcome is by the blood of the Lamb. And to align our words with what God's word says about us. That we get into the presence of the Lord. And we trust that. And we make that our strength. We set ourselves. Then no matter what comes our way we're ready to pivot and adjust in order to be able to counteract and overcome. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So if you try to do it purely in your own strength, you're going to be overcome. Get into his presence so that you're aware of that presence of the Lord, then nothing can stop you. So in this time in the church, when I'm looking post-pandemic of what do we need to do, I'm all ready to come up with programs. I'm already come up with strategies. And the simple message I keep getting is you got to focus on the presence. And when you get the presence, the things that He's going to do is going to be extraordinary. The other day, I jokingly wrote down we're, we're kind of setting up our calendar, and I set up kind of what I wanted to do this year and what I wanted to focus on next year. And three years out, you're kind of getting way out there, but I wrote this on my calendar for this board that I'm working with. Three years out, or two years out from now, two years from today, that our focus is, what do we do with all the people that are showing up at our church? And I kind of did that kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I kind of did it kind of for my own joke, and I took it off, and I put it back in. Go, no, let's put that down. Let's put that down, that we're expecting that what we do of getting into the presence of the Lord is going to reap a reward. It's a harvest. And I kind of put that down as a joke, but then the Lord kind of convicted me because he said, do you believe that? And I went, yeah, I do. So, January or September 2025, I'm saying, what are we going to do with all the people that show up hungry for Jesus? What's LCF going to do when people start showing up hungry for Jesus? What's Landmark going to do when people really get hungry for Jesus? That's what I begin to focus on and look forward to. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would guide our hearts. That what you've been speaking to us today, that we would take to heart, that we would see that we're valued to you. That Lord, even in telling a story, I'm just, it keeps, keeps bringing you back to that vulnerable place of, of absolute surrender to you. And Lord, I pray one day I will get comfortable with the fact that I am dearly loved by you, just the way I am. So Lord, I pray for those that are here today that you would draw near to them in in whatever unique way will speak to their hearts. And may they be overwhelmed with your sense of love. And may that command that we receive from you today, from the Father, to pay attention, to listen, would become the driving force in our lives. That we would take the time to rest in you and then go and do in your power and in your strength and in your ways. So Lord, help us to set ourselves for what is to come and help us be ready to charge when that sound is made. And that we will do it in full confidence that it is your will and that you're guiding us. And Lord, by faith we believe that the kingdom of God is expanding And that it's not going to be overcome by the things that are in this world. But the gates of hell will not be able to withstand what your church, your unified church, does as they get into your presence and advance from there. So, Lord, bless LCF in the days ahead. May between now and the Christmas season just overwhelm them with your joy, with your presence. And, Lord, prepare them for what's coming in this coming year, that they would be set to be a voice in this community, in unity with the other churches, To truly have an impact on Landmark and far beyond. And so bless them and bless their leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.